You know, this morning we're starting a new sermon series called Keys to Making Life Better. And actually, the title I came up with just a few months ago I was talking to a bunch of people. You know, I exit greet and talk to people and ask, well, you know, how's your week been? How are you doing? And, and it seemed like invariably over and over and over they were just saying, well, it could be better. You know, <laughs> life could be better. And some people are like, life could be way, way, way better. And I just started thinking about that and I started thinking, you know, it, you know, life should be better as Christians, right? It should be a little bit different. It should be, we should be able to deal with life in better ways. It should be better. And I started thinking, is there parts of Scripture that, that share with us how to make life better in our own lives? And, and actually, as you go through Scripture, there's all sorts of stuff that, that lends to that, that very elusive fact, it seems, as we go through life. And so that's what I'm going to be sharing with you this morning. And so in this series, we're going to be taking a look at, it, kind of a fresh look at what it really means to be a Christian, a disciple of Jesus. We're also going to be taking a look at the perfect life and what it's really supposed to be all about, according to Jesus. And so this morning, I want to start with this first characteristic, and it is the key to happiness, right? How many of you guys want to be happy? Anybody? Yep. So we, all, we all want to be happy. And so this is, I'm going to not hold you in suspense. I'm going to give you the very key at the very beginning, and then we're going to talk about it a little bit more. But the key to happiness is just being positive. Kind of an interesting thought since we tend to trend so negative in so many different areas in our life, but the key to happiness according to study after study, according to God's word, is being positive. And so I gave you chapter 8 of Romans. Let me just read that again really quickly. Uh, By the way, thanks to Sandy, that was awesome, right? Um, I gave you that chapter, and yet in that chapter as we were reading through, did it make you happy? I mean, were you just giddy by the time it was finished? Now, now why was that? Because we were thinking, boy, this is long, you know? I I stopped paying attention 15 verses ago. Where are we? Is she still talking? I mean, and we lost sight. We lost sight of the powerful words that God had in there. Chapter 8 is one of the, the, the most impactful, most powerful chapters in all of Scripture. It can change your life. And yet as we sat here so often, the words just kind of glanced off because we had this agenda or this agenda or this agenda. And then we started tracking negative because we're thinking, wow, this is just taking a long time. And we missed the whole whole point of the chapter. We missed the power of the chapter. And so often we do the same thing with life. We, We miss out on life because we get so caught up by everything else. A few years back, I read about a guy named Dr. Martin Seligman, who was a study professor at the University of Pennsylvania. And he had studied thousands and thousands of people and come to the conclusion in his studies that people who are optimistic, people who are positive, live longer, have better health, are more happy, are more accomplished than the people that are not optimistic or positive. Another study I was going through at the same time I was reading about um, proved that salesmen who are optimistic have 37% more sales than guys who are not optimistic. So as I was studying those and I was looking at those, I mean, I guess it makes a lot of sense if you have optimism, if you're more positive, you're looking at the glasses half full, you're, you're not giving up, you're not quitting early, all those different things. But why is it, why is it do you suppose that people who are optimistic or, or, or more positive in life have so much more fun, have so much more happiness in their life or success in their life? And the answer that both of these studies gave was this, because people like being around positive people. Is that true? I do. How many of you guys like being around really negative people or complaining all the time? I don't see any hands. It's crazy, right? So we we love being around. They're energy givers. They're fun to hang out with. They're fun to have at your house or go out to dinner with because they're they're always looking at things in a good way. 
I think, you know, in some ways, that's why St. Mark continues to grow, right? It, over the last several years, we've become a pretty positive church. In fact, you see it in the courtyards. You see it in people laughing. One of the biggest things that people who come and join our church say is that, man, people are so friendly here. You know, they're always laughing. They, they'll engage you. They'll talk to you. Nobody just ignores us. It's crazy. And that's, I think, a really good thing, that we focus on the good news of Jesus, that, we've, we've, that we have fun together. Because the reality is there's so much negative in the world, isn't it? And it's just cool to be able to come to a place where, man, it's different, where people are laughing instead of crying, where people are joyful instead of being miserable, where people are real and, and just trying to live life together. And so we work on preaching the good news here because, man, there's just so much that's negative. And as a result of that, I think Christians, to be honest, of all people, ought to be the most positive, optimistic people in the world. Because it's true, right? We, we have so much to hope for. If we truly believe what Scripture says, Part of us paying attention to what it says, right? But if we truly believe what God says to us in his word, we, we ought to be the most joyful people that we know because there's so many things that God gives us. And so I gave you chapter 8, and we're going to take a look at what Paul says because in this chapter, this one chapter, and for all of you that kind of tuned out while we were reading it, I want you to go back and read it after the sermon and see if you can find the things that I'm bringing out to you today. But in this chapter, Paul gives us four reasons why every Christian should be the most positive person in the world. In this chapter, Paul shows us as a Christian that it is possible to live life without the following things. And these are key because these are things that, that take our joy away, okay? So one of the first things that Paul says that we can live life without is that we can live life without condemnation. How many of you guys love beating yourself up for things you've done wrong? You don't have to raise your hand on that one, but yeah, thank you for some honesty, right? How many of you have heard of Catholic guilt or Lutheran guilt or Baptist guilt or whatever kind of guilt? How many know that that's a sin, that that's not right, that Jesus came to take away our guilt? So God says, first and foremost, that we can live a life without condemnation. Listen to what it says in Romans 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those that are in Jesus Christ. Notice the word no there. In the Greek, it's, it's the strongest word for no that's possible, right? And it just means absolutely positively no. If you're married, your wife or your husband has a similar no. Sometimes they add inflection to it. Sometimes they have a look. But you just know that if they say that no, it's no, right? And all the way through, as you study the Greek, whenever this is used, there's nobody coming back and saying, really, are you sure? I mean, it's just, it's just a, a flat-out no. So let, let me read this. There is absolutely positively no condemnation if you are a Christian. Listen to what that means. It means that God doesn't condemn you if you believe in Jesus Christ. I think that's a hard truth for us to grasp, to be honest. I think intellectually we get it, but emotionally I think it's just sometimes really hard to believe, right? It's too good to believe in so many ways. Because what it says is, no matter what I do, God is not mad at me. He might be a little disappointed here or there, but he, he never turns his back on us. He never throws out the, us with the bathwater, right? He, he loves us no matter what we've done. And I think in the midst of just doing something that was really dumb or really harmful or really hurtful, or we're embarrassed before God, we're facing the consequences of our life, we're, it's just sometimes almost too good to believe that God just washes it away. But here's a fact. God is not angry with me if I'm a Christian. When you blow it, God does not reject you. He does not kick you out of his family. When you're inconsistent, he does not get impatient or scold you. When you sin, he does not hold a grudge or stop loving you. Why? Because your sins have already been paid for. 
right? That's what Jesus came to do when he died for us on the cross. He paid for them once and for all way back in the day. So we should feel guilt for like 15 seconds, okay? Guilt is a wonderful thing from the Holy Spirit. It says, hey, what I did was wrong. Ah, and then it brings us to Jesus and we say, we're sorry. Wait, that was less than 15 seconds. The whole point of guilt is to drive us to Jesus, to the foot of the cross, to say, God, we're sorry. And then Jesus says, I forgive you. And we should let it go. And the guilt should be gone. And any more beating ourselves up after that does not come from God, does not come from Jesus. It comes from the evil one. Because God has, because Jesus died, because he forgives us, he promises you a freedom to live with life differently after that. In other words, God has made it possible to live a life without condemnation. It's really, a, it's a trippy thing when you start to believe it. And I, and I truly believe this too. Even if there wasn't a heaven, and boy, am I glad there is, right? But even if there wasn't a heaven, it would be worth it to be a Christian just so that you can live a life without continually beating yourself up. To live a life that was clear in conscience and to know that God wasn't mad at you. God adds on top of that promise heaven as well, which makes it even better, right? But the reality is that we can live a life that way where God is our friend and not our enemy. Now notice it does not say this. It does not say that there are no mistakes for those in Jesus Christ or no sins or no failures. I mean, obviously Christians sin. Christians sin a lot, right? They sin, they fail, they make mistakes over and over. Christians are not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but they are forgiven. And if we just stopped right there, closed our Bibles and went home, that's enough reason in the world to be positive. That Jesus would take away all the stuff that we've done that's wrong and look at us as perfect. That we don't have to struggle beating ourselves up again and again and again because his death was sufficient. God made it possible to live without condemnation. Then he goes on and he gives us another one. Paul says, it is also possible to live a life without desperation. Henry David Thoreau once said this, most people live life of quiet desperation. They're overwhelmed and totally discouraged. I'll just add to that that, I mean, as we know, life isn't easy. That life is hard, very hard at times. I'll add to this, too, that God has not promised a stress-free, problem-free life for believers. I wish it was the other way. It's just not. Christians, however, do have a hope that should help us keep going in the midst of life's difficulties. Fact. Paul writes this. Our present sufferings, so he acknowledges that we have them, that they're just a part of our life. Our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. In other words, he's just saying, I know how the story's going to end. There's going to be rewards. And sure, the times are tough right now, but I've read the last chapter in the book, and it tells us that we're going to win in the end. The fact is, is a life as a Christian, it can be as difficult as anybody that we know, sometimes worse. But we have a hope to hold on to that reminds us of heaven. That when the finer chapter is written, we get paradise. That no matter how difficult our present, our future, our eternity is secured because of what Jesus has done for us. And that should give us a perspective that's different. I was talking to a guy at the beginning, before the first service, and he's dealing with some really, very real health issues. And, and I was just praying for him. And, and, and we were talking. He says, you know what, Pastor? It's all good. He goes... If God wants to take me home, I know I get paradise forever. That's, that's a pretty good deal. And if God wants to heal me, then I know there's still purpose for me and he's not done with me yet. And he goes, either way, I'm ready. I'm just, either way, I'm ready because I know that he's got it. And if you can have that perspective as you go through life, no matter what the issue, man, it reminds you of two truths. That your eternity's taken care of and then your present God's got it too. 
And it gives you a different hope, a different perspective of watch through life, and it changes your attitude from within you. And then Paul goes on and gives us another one. He says it's also possible to live a life without miscalculation. In other words, God never makes a mistake. Even takes the mistakes that you and I make, and we make a whole bunch of mistakes, even in this room. The other services are worse, I'll give you that. But even in this room, right, we make a lot of mistakes. And yet no matter what we've done, he has this ability, God is amazing in this ability to take those mistakes and weave them into something that is ultimately good for those who believe in him. If you, if you will, we give God a lot of lemons, and he is the ultimate lemonade maker, Okay. No matter what sin, no matter what difficulty, no matter what we've created in our life, no matter what we're going through in our life, God's promised this in, in chapter, verse, chapter 8, verse 28. He says this, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And if we would cling hold of that, right, it, it would change our life. And no wonder the Christians could be the most positive people in the world, right? Because this would make an optimist out of anybody, knowing that even in our darkest days that God is using that to, to strengthen us, to, to get us to a place where we can use it for good, where there is good that comes out of it. Fact. God has a purpose beyond, behind my problems. Now, I wish that wasn't true. But it gives me comfort that it is. Does that make sense? I love that God, even in the midst of my hardship, has a reason that he's allowing me to go through it. Or at least that he can do something good out of it. Doesn't mean the event that I'm going through is any good, right? But I love that God can use it for good in my life. It helps me be positive, that he has a purpose behind every problem that I go through. Now notice what it doesn't say. It does not say that all things are good. It does not. There's a lot of bad in the world. I hear people say, well, it happened, so it must have been God's will. No, 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 your, your adultery was not part of God's will. In fact, God says, that's not my will, right? He calls it sin. He hates it. You've done something that's horrible. But the reality is, is there's a lot of bad in the world, and it doesn't mean that God looks at the lemons that we give him and he somehow exonerates them or excuses them or says, good job. He laments at them, and he's, he's sorry that we went through it and that we did it and we hurt other people. But again, as the greatest lemonade maker ever, he still some way has a way to weave those into good in our life. It does not say that all things work out the way we want them to. It does not say that everything will have a happy ending on this side of heaven. Those are just not truths. But it does say this, and we know. And so we don't have to hope, and we don't have to wish, and we don't have to desire, and we don't have to think, and we don't have to imagine. We can have absolute confidence. It says we can know. And what do we know? We know that in all things, God works together for the good of those who love God. What does all things mean? Does that include losing my job? Does that include an illness? Does it include a divorce? Does it include a miscarriage? Does it include all those things? The absolute answer to all those is absolutely yes. And again, it doesn't make those things right. We are the number one cause of consequence in our life. Our life would be so much different, so much better. People would still sin against us, and we'd still have those complications, but we could take away all the stuff we bring upon ourselves. But God's promise is that even when we get off, he has this ability to weave all those things into a plan and work them for good in our life. Notice it also doesn't say that all things by themselves are good. It just says again that he weaves them together, that they're interrelated, that individually there are many bad things that come into our lives, but they go together, they work together, they're interrelated. I always think of this word picture. Um, it's this idea of needlepoint. I don't know if you guys do it. My grandma did. And on the back of a needlepoint, 
you have knots and thread going every different direction, and it just looks horrible. And I'd be looking as my grandma was doing this at one side of it, I think, it's just the ugliest thing ever, you know. And, but I, I love that picture because it reminds me of my life, to be honest. There's times where I've had a train wreck over here, and that's where the bunch of knots are. There's times that I've gone off in different directions, and that's where the thread is going all over the place. But the thing I don't see is that when you turn it over, there's this beautiful picture of what God is doing in our life. And we can look at this side, and we can see the pain, and we can see the frustration, and we can see the times that just, just didn't go right. But again, God has this ability to weave all these things and turn them into something that's absolutely beautiful. All things, he says, he promises work together for our good. And that makes it a life without miscalculation because there's nothing we can do to mess up God's plans. God never makes a mistake. And he will even take the mistakes of my life and he'll turn them around. And then Paul goes on and gives us this last one. He says, too, we can live a life without separation. And the last part of, of what Sandy read, in verse 35, verse 36, it says this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death or life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither heights nor depths, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. As I'll tell you, if you can grasp hold of this truth, it will change your life. It just says this, for those of you who are Christians, believer in Jesus, it says this, that nothing can destroy your relationship with God. That nothing can destroy your relationship with God except maybe, except maybe you. And that's good news. Because what it says is that God will never leave you alone as you're walking through life. That nothing that ever happens to you or nothing that you ever do will ever make God stop loving you. That you are in Christ, that you are eternally secure in him. And once you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, see, it says that God assumes a, kind of the responsibility to make it sure that you get to heaven. It's what we, the promise that's given at baptism, right? That God will now work in us and through this baby and through this child and through this adult that we baptize until one day they're sitting in heaven with him. See, God assumes a responsibility to make it, for you to make it to heaven. And so you don't have to wonder, am I going to make it? Because God has promised. I'll give you an illustration of that. I go to the Grand Canyon, and I start, you know, look over the side, and I've got my, my seven-year-old daughter with me, and we start going down one of those paths, you know, the cliff's on the one side, and you kind of going to look over, and there's like a 2,000-foot drop, and, and I put my, my hand in my daughter's, and we start walking down, and I do that for a very specific reason, because I love my daughter, but inevitably, as we walk down this thing, my daughter, I'm just sure, at some point, will want to do something else and let go of my hand and go look or something, but no matter how much she may squirm, and even if she lets go of my hand, I will never let go of her hand because I'm her father and I love her. And that's the same truth that God has for us. For he says, you may let go of me, but I will never let go of you, and that's security. Jesus said it like this, I know my sheep, I know those who follow me. They hear my voice and they are in my hand, and no man can snatch them out of my hand. You know, somebody once asked me, you know, how do you know if you're the elect? Because that's who he's talking about here, right? Those who believe in him with all their hearts and minds. And the answer I give is you can know that you're the elect today. If you love Jesus, if you love the Lord, today you can know that if you die, you'll be in paradise. Here's the good part of that, or the cool part of that, 
is every day that you're living is your today. And so you can go the rest of your todays, the rest of your life, secure in the arms of Jesus. The call is always just to cling to him, to hold on to him, and one day we'll receive the reward. You know, here's, as we go through all these things, these are wonderful privileges that God makes available to us in Jesus. And so you start asking, what should be our response to that? And if you're a believer, if you're already a Christian, Ephesians 4 gives us the answer to that. In verse 1 it says, Live and act in a way worthy of those who have been chosen for such wonderful blessings as these. And there's so many responses that we could give to that, but maybe just this morning, maybe this one fits. Maybe we ought to say to God, God, forgive me for my negativity. Take the critical negative spirits out of my life. Because regardless of what's going on in the world today, I want to look at the wonderful things that you've promised me, the wonderful things that you will do for me. And may that help me be positive. And may that help me be optimistic as I walk through life. Because I'm reminded that in the end, I'll be with you. And in the end, I'm going to win. In the end, I'll receive paradise. In 1 John 5, it says, Real life is to be found only in God's Son. Anyone who has Christ has this life. But if he doesn't have Christ, then he doesn't possess this life at all. John is simply saying here to us, you have everything to gain and nothing to lose. So don't wait. Come to Jesus. Receive his forgiveness and his love and his power and his peace for your life today. Don't put it off any longer. Put your hands in the hands of Jesus. The good, the bad, and the ugly, and understanding and trusting that he will still love you, that he will not reject you no matter what you've done. Know that he loves you so much more than you could even imagine. That's what the Bible says. And y'all, he has a plan and he has a purpose for your life. And the more you put your life into his plan, I promise you, the better and better it gets. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let us pray. God, we love you so much. And we hear words like this and it, it motivates us and it encourages us, Lord. And we confess to you, we sometimes trend negative. We We sometimes look at the glass as half empty. We sometimes get so involved and overwhelmed by all these other issues in our life that we lose focus of what's truly important, what's what's truly good. And so, Father, we pray today, may this, this message that we've talked about, may it give us perspective to see in you hope, a hope not just for a better eternity, but a hope for a better tomorrow. And may it give us strength, Lord, to trend more and more positive. I think that's why we, we hate politics during this time of year because everybody's bashing everybody. But, but give us the strength to trend positive. And may that infect and affect the people that are around us. And may it drive them too to know more and more about Jesus. We pray that today in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.